Hey, this is the Craft Room Podcast with Dawn Lewis, and today I'm going to tell you my top six must-have items so that you can start making your own cards. This is episode two. Welcome to the Craft Room Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Lewis, professional crafter, craft teacher, and all-round craft enthusiast. This podcast will help you get great value from your craft supplies and perhaps help you discover new techniques, ideas, and products to take your crafting to the next level. There is so much craft to talk about, so let's dive right in. Hello, I am so glad to have you in the craft room with me today. And today I thought we would talk about card making. Specifically, what exactly do you need to start? So first, let's consider a card you might buy at the newsagents or even at the dollar shop. Essentially, you've got a piece of heavyweight cardstock with an image, usually a sentiment on the front, a matching envelope if you're lucky, and possibly a sentiment or a longer verse inside. It might be funny or pretty, whimsical, macho, minimalist, arty. There really is something for all ages, occasions, tastes in all sorts of colors and themes and sizes. So if you're considering taking up card making as a hobby, you might be wondering what you really need. I mean, really, really need. If you're already a card maker, you've probably seen this asked in card making groups on Facebook a lot if you're in those groups. So I'm going to go through my top six must haves for card making. Number one, cardstock. Of course, this is number one. You cannot make a card without cardstock. It's advisable to use a good weight of cardstock. If it's too flimsy, your finished card is not going to stand up for long. And if you use a lot of decoration on the front panel, it may buckle under the weight and just keep falling down. If your cardstock is too thick, it might be difficult to fold or too thick and expensive to post. Now, I'd been using Quill 200 GSM cardstock from Officeworks, but last year I switched to Mondi Color copy 200 gsm and there is a huge difference i personally still don't understand how both packets say 200 gsm that's the weight the thickness the heaviness of the cardstock on the packet but i get two very very different cardstocks so the quill look don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with it but if i do make a card with a heavily decorated front it is a little bit lightweight, whereas the Mondi cardstock, it's the perfect weight. I love it. You do need to buy it in a ream of 250 sheets, which is around the $26 mark. But if you're just starting and you're not sure if you're going to really like making cards yet, you probably don't want to buy a whole ream of cardstock. So here's my recommendation. Look for single sheets, even in office works. You can even buy small packs, maybe a 10 pack, a five pack. I know in Eckersley's and Spotlight, you can get single sheets of A4 cardstock. Pick something that you think is going to stand up as a card. I mean, you've received cards before, you've bought and given cards before, written on them and read them. So you know what's going to stand up. You can buy one sheet and give it a try. I always create my card bases by trimming down a piece of A4 or 12 by 12 cardstock. So let's talk A4. From a single sheet of A4, I can get two standard card bases. Now, depending which direction you cut the cardstock in half, you'll achieve the folded edge on either the top or the side, but the finished card is always gonna be the same. So for example, if you take your A4 card and you cut it in half, long ways, making two long, narrow rectangles, you're going to get a side folding landscape card or a top folding portrait card. But if you take that same sheet of A4 cardstock and you cut it in half 
short ways, that's going to result into A5 sized pieces of cardstock and it will give you a top folding landscape card or a side folding portrait card. Either way, these cards are going to fit very nicely into a C5 envelope and they qualify for standard post within Australia Post, assuming you stick to the 5mm thickness or less. Now with the 12 by 12 cardstock, when you cut that in half, you get a couple of 6 by 12 long rectangles. Fold that in half, you get a perfect 6 inch square card. It can be top fold or side fold, up to you. You do need square envelopes for 6 by 6 cards and when it comes to Australia Post, they are considered oversized and will need two stamps. If you send a lot of cards by post and you are sending 6 by 6 cards, that is going to double your postage costs for the year. So you might want to, if you're on a budget, consider using A4 card bases, well, bases you trim from A4, so that it can cut down on your postage because when you pay less for your postage, you've got more to spend on new supplies and tools. Sometimes I will trim a piece of A4 cardstock into quarters. So I'll cut it in half to make two A5s and I'll cut those in half. This gives me four mini cards from a single sheet of A4. I like mini cards. I have a video on how to make them over on my YouTube channel. I'll link to that in the show notes. It just gives me that smaller card. Sometimes you just want something small to go with a gift or pop a little thank you note. You know, sometimes it can be daunting to write and fill in a whole full-size card. Um, I, I sometimes get stuck with like, what do I write in this card? So sometimes having a mini card there's just less pressure on what to write because you don't have that great big blank space staring at you going, be creative, write a sonnet for me. You know what I mean. Now, mostly when it comes to card bases, people use white cardstock. I do. Uh, but you can absolutely use colored cardstock. You can get multicolored cardstock packs, which is a great option. Uh, I use them sometimes for card bases, but I also use them for creating backgrounds and adding layers and mats and, and different elements and die cutting for my cards as well. Lastly, when we're talking cardstock, I think it's worth mentioning the difference between Australian A4 and American A4 cardstock because they are different sizes. Australian A4 cardstock measures 11 and 11 16th inches by 8 and a quarter inches or 29.7 by 21 centimeters. An American A4 cardstock measures 11 by 8.5 inches, which translates to 28 by 21.6 centimetres. So that means an Australian A4 is smaller than American A4. Now, if you have been watching any YouTube videos about card making made by American card makers, you will hear the phrase four and a quarter by five and a half, and you will hear it a lot. It's also known as A2. So a lot of cover dies that are designed by stamp companies to fill the whole front of a card are designed for American cardstock, not Australian cardstock. Our card bases are a little smaller. You can fit them, it's just if you want the border, you're going to have to make your card four and a quarter by five and a half or trim it down and not have the border showing. Maybe you need to get a bit creative. The other thing to note is it's actually difficult to find envelopes in Australia for those four and a quarter by five and a half cards. I have a vlog post over on my YouTube channel that goes into this whole A4 thing in a lot more depth. I will link to that as well in the show notes, just in case you'd like a visual on how that all works. Okay, number two, trimmer. When it comes to cutting down A4 or 12 by 12 cardstock, there are two varieties of cutting method I recommend. The first is a trimmer, a cardstock trimmer. 
The second is a combo of a craft knife plus a ruler plus a self-healing mat. For convenience though, I invested in a trimmer and I've owned quite a few dodgy trimmers in my search for the right one. There are three main styles of trimmer as well as different sizes. If you're going to be using 12 by 12 cardstock or if you're also going to be scrapbooking, then a 12 inch trimmer is a really great investment. One of the styles is the trimmer that has a blade that slides in a track or on a wire. Some have rotary blade and then there's also the guillotine style. I own and use all three of those but the most versatile for sure is the sliding blade trimmer. I'm going to go more into pros and cons of trimmers and things that you need to know in future episodes. Honestly I could go on about trimmers all day and you know we want to move through this so I'll do that in a future episode. But essentially a trimmer or your blade ruler mat combo is going to give you a truly straight line which contributes to a beautifully finished card that you are going to be happy with. Number three, bone folder. Now that you have your card base chosen and cut to size, it's time to fold that card base in half. A bone folder is an optional tool, but it is one that's worth considering. You may notice when you fold your cardstock in half, the fold line might be a little rough or what I kind of refer to as crunchy. It's got jaggedy rough finish. It's not all nice and smooth like a shop-bought card. By using a bone folder and a ruler, or you could use the track in your trimmer if you've got a sliding blade one, to score the cardstock before you fold it, you get a cleaner, smoother folded edge. Now I made cards for a lot of years, like over a decade before I actually invested in a bone folder. But I have to say now that I use one, I do enjoy the finish a lot, a lot more. It makes me a lot happier with my finished card. Bone folders can be inexpensive, but they can also be really expensive. So if anyone's telling you that you have to have a Teflon bone folder, which will set you back around the $45 mark, that's not entirely true. I don't own a Teflon bone folder. I own a really basic bone folder that was quite inexpensive. It was under $10. And uh, I've even seen them in dollar shops. You can pick them up very inexpensive. I like the results I get from my basic one. I don't see any need to upgrade. Now, if I was making a lot more cars, maybe if I had arthritis or dodgy wrists, I might upgrade to a Teflon just to make it easier and less stressful on my hands. But right now, I'm happy with the basic one. So the way that a bone folder works is that you use the sharp point on one end to impress a line into your cardstock. That kind of compresses the fibers in the paper. And now it's much easier to fold because the cardstock has been scored and the compressed fibers aren't going to resist being folded, hence the smoother folded edge. You score the line on the outside of your card base and then fold so that the wrong sides are together. You can also use the bone fold to reinforce, so press down on that fold and it makes it so sharp and perfect. It's a fantastic tool. So while it's not what I'd call essential, it is highly recommended. Number four, patterned paper. Now we get to the fun part, making it pretty with the design on the front of your card. There are so many ways you can do this, but I'm going to start you off with something very, very, very basic. So one of the simplest ways to add a beautiful feature to the front of your card is using patterned paper. It comes in a few sizes, most commonly 12 by 12, 8 by 8 and 6 by 6 because it's really a scrapbooking thing. Sometimes it's single sided, other times double sided. Now, one of my favorite things about single sided paper is there's no decision making required. You just use the printed side. 
But one of my favorite things about double-sided paper is that it really does give me options. You, you're essentially getting two designs for the price of one. You can purchase 12 by 12 sheets of pattern paper in singles or packs or paper pads. Eight by eight and six by six are typically sold in packs or as paper pads. And the whole pack is coordinated. So this lets you use several sheets or at least parts of sheets on a project and it gives you this fully cohesive look at the end. Everything coordinates. You can usually find pattern paper in craft stores these days in more unexpected places like dollar shops, department stores and even Aldi releases um, scrapbooking gear once or twice a year. Also check out D-stash groups on Facebook or garage sales because not everyone does one craft forever and ever so you can often snag a bargain when someone is clearing out their stash. My pro tip here is to not go overboard. This is why people de-stash because they buy all the pretty things then they don't use them. Buy what you can afford and what you have an immediate use for. One sheet of 12 by 12 pattern paper will cover the front of six a5 cards. That's pretty impressive. It would also cover the front of four six by six cards completely. But to add pattern paper to the front of a card, I often will trim it down a little smaller than the card front by about a quarter of an inch. That way there's a border around the pattern paper in whatever color your card base is. It's kind of nice to have a frame on the front of the card that holds the receiver's eye kind of in the center rather than it running off the edge. Now, of course, there's lots of other things that you can add like extra layers and dimension, embellishments and die cuts and stamped and colored images. But if you choose a pattern and paper with an interesting and irrelevant print you don't need anything else especially when you're starting out because today I'm talking about things you need not all the pretty things we want uh, trust me we'll we will go there on another day number five sentiment something that is universal on a card front is a sentiment it lets the recipient know why you're sending the card the sentiment behind your message hence why it is called the sentiment, sometimes the greeting. There's a few ways that you can add a sentiment. You could add a die cut word or a phrase. You can use sentiment stamps. You can print something from your computer. Sometimes you can even buy stickers or printed die cuts that are going to do the job. Some methods of application present better than others. Personally, I prefer a stamped or printed sentiment, a petite die cut word or phrase, I rarely stamp directly onto my card front and if it's got pattern paper, I will never stamp directly onto that because when it's pattern paper, a stamped sentiment, words can really get lost in there and I want that sentiment to stand out because if it's a birthday card, I really want the person to look at that and see that it says happy birthday. You know what I mean? Now, it's bad enough that sometimes your image might get lost, but probably the worst thing is a misstamp. If I misstamp on the front of a finished card, there's not a lot I can do. I can cover it up or I can start again, which I don't like doing. It feels really wasteful. Therefore, I prefer to stamp on some white cardstock and I'll layer that up on a contrasting slightly larger piece of cardstock underneath to frame it. And then I will place that on the card. So if there's just less pressure doing it that way. And I can, you know, if I mess it up, I can flip the piece of cardstock over and stamp it on the back. It's not wasteful. I feel better about it. Plus, I can just move that sentiment piece around on the front of the card until I've decided, you know, where's it going to look best? And I'm always happier that way. Number six, 
adhesive. Now is the time to stick our very basic elements onto the card base. Amazingly, there is a massive variety when it comes to adhesive. For starting out, I'd recommend double-sided tape. Either 3mm or 6mm is going to do the job. If you want other options and you decide card makings for you, I would invest in a good liquid glue uh, for small or detailed pieces and embellishments as well. Double-sided foam tape is also really good. It's a good way to add a little dimension, a little height to your card. It works the same as double-sided tape, but it's a little bit thicker. And so you can pop things up a bit higher. I will definitely go into adhesives in a whole other episode, not just for card making. Adhesives are actually used in so many crafts and some that you buy for one craft will translate over into another. So we'll definitely come back to adhesives in a future episode. So watch out for that one. My pro tip for applying double-sided tape is to just go around the edges. Do not apply it all over. A tiny little piece in each corner of your pattern paper panel isn't going to be quite enough, but you do not need to cover the whole thing. It's expensive, time consuming and completely unnecessary. You can see a photo of the way I apply my adhesive over on the blog post, which I'll link to in the show notes. And before long, you are going to find your favorite adhesive and your favorite application method. So when it comes to the must-haves, that's it. Of course, there are always other fun things that you can use to make your cards beautiful. But I always say this, a simple card made well beats a complicated card made badly. In other words, good workmanship is the most important thing in your toolbox. The most simple card, like the one I talked about today, can look amazing when you take the time to do great workmanship. For instance, cutting. Make sure your lines are straight and the edges are clean. If you're getting fuzzy paper on the edge of your card or paper, it means your blade needs to be replaced in your trimmer. If you get really into card making and you want to start cutting out shapes, you can look into die cutting machines or shape cutting systems because cutting a perfect circle with scissors is impossible. There are always little corners on there but we'll go into that later also when you've gone to the trouble to cut straight lines be sure to take the time to line up your layers nice and straight before you stick them down a t-square ruler is actually really really helpful doing this and it's a really inexpensive piece of kit it's not necessary but at four dollars you know it's helpful to line things up and give a more professional look to your cards Another recommendation for a professional finish is to avoid using your handwriting as part of the design, unless, of course, you have incredible handwriting. This is not a hard and fast rule, but I used to do this, and I'll be honest, I was always disappointed with the end result. I started printing my sentiments, and then I invested in a multi-occasion stamp set, and that made me a lot happier with the look. I don't have the greatest handwriting. And while it's great to write inside the card, because that's very personal, as part of the design, I just never liked it, especially for me. I mentioned adhesives earlier, and an important tip here is to have no visible adhesive on the front of your card. If some double-sided tape is sticking out past the pattern paper or sentiment strip or cardstock, either trim it off or just tuck it back underneath the piece. Same goes for liquid glue. If you get any oozing out from underneath, say your sentiment strip or an embellishment or a die cut, and that happens, trust me, just grab a toothpick or a, the blade of your craft knife and use it to just scrape it away so that it's not a big glob there. It's not only unsightly, but sometimes visible adhesives 
still have some stick to them. They can stick to the envelope and you can wreck the beautiful card as the person who's receiving it takes it out of the envelope. And you put all that effort in so it pays to just pay attention to those little things. Lastly, if there is damage to your pattern paper, either trim it away or cover it up. Creases, dog-eared corners, rips, stains, ink smudges, they all happen, especially to older pattern paper. If you've had it sitting around for a while or it's been in storage for a while or you've been given it by somebody else who it's been sitting around at their place for a while, older pieces, they sometimes have a bit of damage and leaving damaged sections on a finished card, it kind of tells the recipient that they're not worth brand new piece of pattern paper, but it doesn't take a lot of effort. You can remove it you can hide it. It's really easy to trim off a sliver to take away a dog-eared corner. It's easy to add an extra flower or put a sentiment over the top or a little sequin to cover an ink smudge. You can even press wrinkle the ribbons to make them look brand new again. Little efforts equal great workmanship. Now, if you're just dipping your toe into card making, you're not sure if you're really going to be into it. There's a few ways you can do so without breaking the budget or even investing in some of these tools. I have four ideas for you. Number one, kit. A card making kit. Often in card making kits, they come with everything pre-cut. This means you don't have to invest in a trimmer quite yet or a, even the blade combo and you can get a taste for the card assembly process without having to buy a trimmer. Number two, pre-cut card base and envelope packs. So instead of buying a whole ream of cardstock, usually in craft stores, even dollar shops and department stores, you can get packs of card bases with matching envelopes. You can get them in all different sizes and a lot of different colors and different finishes like pearlized or satin or matte or textured, all these different things. You don't need a bone folder because everything is pre-scored or pre-folded and you don't have to figure out how to cut things down to size. You've just got it and you can just decorate it and you're good to go. Number three, ask a card making friend. If you have a friend who is a card maker, I suspect they'll be more than happy to invite you over for a crafty day, maybe let you use their tools or possibly lend you a few things while you decide if this is for you. Most card makers are very excited to introduce other people to card making. So why not ask your crafty friends? Maybe at the very least, they'll have some old pattern paper that they will let you play with, or you get to go have a fun day with your friend. Everybody wins. Number four, party plan. There are quite a few card making and stamping party plan companies around. So you can always invite over a few friends, book a party, the demonstrator will come in, instruct you in a project, tell you all the things. She will try and sell you all the things also. Um, but it's a good way to go hands on and figure out if you enjoy it. Now, another thing, if you don't want to do that, is some of the party plan demonstrators or consultants, they hold card making classes in their homes or small venues in your local area. And you could go to one of those. They usually have a fee, but you get to meet other card makers. You might make some new friends. Everything is pre-cut. You get to use all the demonstrators, tools, stamps, and they instruct you the entire way. You walk away having had a lovely time with finished cards without having to buy all the tools. 
Can card making take over your life and your house? Absolutely, it can. There are so many awesome tools and pretty papers and gorgeous embellishments. It's really easy to go nuts, especially in the early days, and just buy everything. But if you start by buying small amounts and making sure you use them, you won't find yourself a year down the track realizing that you bought a bunch of useless stuff that doesn't work and that you don't really like and it doesn't do what you thought it was going to do. I've been making cards for over 25 years, and in the beginning, I just made do. When I picked up scrapbooking about 17 years ago, I accumulated a lot more stuff, and I'll be honest, some of it is still sitting in boxes unused. So I know what I'm talking about here. I have done this. I have made the mistake. You, I will share all my mistakes so that you can learn from them and not make them. But then I got smart. I added to my toolbox in stages as I could afford things and after doing a lot of research. And a lot of this was pre-internet days, by the way. I think we can go into another episode on that, though, because there's been lots of information here already today. And I don't want to overwhelm anyone who's just kind of starting out, but we will definitely go into and I'll, I'll walk you through the different phases and stages and and when I realized that it was time to add different tools and supplies to my arsenal, what I used, what I evolved past, all that kind of thing. But we'll do that on another day. Remember, people are going to tell you that you need all the things, but one person's need is another person's budget buster or want list item. So ease in it first. And if you get hooked, then you can start investing in the new toys. Thanks so much for joining me in the craft room today. You can find links and other information about today's episode in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. I'd really appreciate that. I do hope you have a very crafty day and I will see you next time. Bye for now.